welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for our free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. In today's podcast, we feature an episode from Ask a Painter Live with Nick Slavic. In this episode, Nick answers questions from the audience about woodworking for National Woodworking Month. I am Nick Slavic. I'm the proprietor of the Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration Company. I am the host of a show called Ask a Painter Live, but not this show called Ask a Stainer Live. This is a special edition Ask a Painter Live show. It's outside of the normal once a week rotation. It is brought to you by Minwax and National Woodworking Month. And uh, they asked me to uh, do a special show, a live question and answer, anything you've ever wanted to know about wood finishing, staining, any of that nerdy stuff that goes along with it, antique furniture restoration, uh, and all that fun stuff, stains and clears. Uh, And I'm going to show you a bunch of really cool stuff tonight. So I have a video uh, that I made about the uh, stain matching and finishing process. And I have a big share that I'm going to give you tonight, which is, you know, normally on the Ask a Painter live show, we're all about pushing the craft uh, that we're in, the the outer limits of that stuff. And we also want to improve our businesses, constant improvement. And I'm going to share with you guys in a little bit. Uh, something that we call an info sheet or a sign-off sheet in my company. It's kind of like an ad hoc contract that we use. And this one is one I've never shared before. It's specifically about staining and finishing woodwork. It's something that we give to clients to set proper expectations that they sign off of. And then we use uh, as a way to keep accountability between me and a client. So Phil Klein, good to see you, my friend. Um, So this is National Woodworking Month uh, brought to you by Minwax. And uh, this is kind of like Christmas in April for a dude like me. So my love affair with wood finishing, staining, varnishing, shellacking, clear coating, restoration, all that other stuff started when I was very, very young. Uh, As most of you know my story, my father owned a painting company and he started me very, very young in it, working evenings, weekends, holidays, all that good stuff. And it got around that I liked old houses, old furniture, even as a super young kid, and people would give me furniture And then I would mess with it. I would fix it up. I would restore it. I'd be messing around with stains and clears and finishing and all this other stuff, uh, blending colors, restoring wood, things like that. And I had an absolute, absolute, absolute awesome blast doing it. Uh, And it actually informed me a lot of what I, you know, consider the craft nowadays. And it certainly informs our wood finishing process. So um, we're going to get into my standard operating procedure, uh, my exact process for finishing woods. We got a whole bunch of super nerdy stuff to show you guys. And if you hang around long enough, I'll show you some weird stuff too. Uh, Some things that I know and love that I use on a daily basis. Uh, but not a lot of people know about and that you can get readily available. So going to be a lot of fun, folks. Uh, buckle in for this. Uh, first off, I want to share with you a stain matching video uh, that I did for National Woodworking Month. So let's pop this guy up in the stream. Pop me down. All right. Come on now. Let's get that video back up there. Give me one second, folks, trying to handle all the tech and traffic cop all this stuff. All right. Let's see here. We got... Here we go. All right. Let's see if we can get this rocking and rolling here. Sorry, I'm traffic cop and a lot of different media I got pulled up for you guys here. So, oh, yes. And the whole purpose of this show in the end is basically to answer any questions you guys have live on the air about any type of wood finishing, stuff like that. So, Mike Wells, how can you fix a fingerprint after it was stained? Employee sanded it, tried to fix it. Stain one takes, so we decided to poly it, bare spot now, told me the next day, now I have to fix it. So easiest way to do that, my video is loading uh, as we speak here. Um, Easiest way to fix that is um, uh, you have to strip the finish off because you have to get to the stain. And then we do a process actually called wet sanding where you take a whole bunch of stain and we use a sanding sponge. We soak the sanding stain and standing, sanding sponge in stain. That is a tricky sentence. And we actually wet sand with the grain. And by sanding it, you're actually opening up the pores of that fingerprint. 
uh, and getting the oils out of there. And if you got to sand the whole thing, if it's on a panel, a rail or a style, you got to wet sand it really softly. Uh, but eventually, if you keep that sanding pad wet with stain, uh, yes, you'll be sanding it a little bit, but the stain will also be working into it. So typically, if you were just to sand and sand and sand a piece of wood, you would be lessening its ability to intake stain. But when you wet sand it like that, a lot of times you could pull it out. And we've done that a lot of times on job sites. In fact, it is a standard operating procedure when we finish new woodwork, because typically we have blotchy kind of wood like this and people wanted something dark and it's sort of a standard process between glue marks, finger marks and all that other stuff. So, okay, I will show you a video that I made for National Woodworking Month here. So, all right. So uh, this is a project that I actually did. Uh, it was a side table and they wanted to match it to an existing side table. So what I did, oh, let's see, play the video here, come on. <laughs> There's a lot of tech to traffic cop around here. So sorry, we're just having a little bit of a delay here. All right, let's see if I can get this sucker rolling here. Right before we stain to ensure the color is correct. I'll hide that. All right, come on now, work with me, baby. Bought this unfinished side table and wants it to match an existing there we piece go. in the room. Okay, so. We have a side table here that had to get matched to an existing piece of furniture. Uh, typically, I prefer the Minwax Performance line of stains like that. They got a custom tintable stain, which you can see there, and then they got their Fast Dry series of varnish. And so what we'll do is we'll do a visual match in the store. I'll bring some wood with, we'll do a little sample, something like that. And when it checks out, we go back to the shop and I kind of use a sacrificial container because you don't want a bunch of uh, you know dust and things in there. And then we'll do another visual check at the shop. So uh, just to make sure that everything's uh, good to go, everything's right. And then we will start the sanding process or this uh, staining process. So typically what I like to do is everything flipped over upside down, stain the parts you don't see, the undersides, seal everything up really well. We're wiping as we go small, uh, small parts. And then we flip it up because then you don't have to mess with it once you do the money side, you know, the tops and the ledges and things like that. Let it dry. Once it's all dry, we can go with the clear. Again, Minwax Fast Dry uh, Performance Series varnish like that. You still get the beauty of the Elkin and things like that, but it dries a lot quicker than a lot of the old traditional varnishes and polyurethanes. Uh, super tough finish, and it does impart that beautiful depth and chatoyancy uh, into the wood there. So again, same process. Seal up the underside, flip it over, do the top like that. And of course, it's a luxury to do something like that in a spray booth like we have. Uh, it's awesome to do, but I've done a lot of this stuff on site or otherwise. And you can tell in the end, it takes a little while to get the stain right. But when you do a stain matching process with a place that's really good at it, and you have a verification process, which we'll get into, turns out pretty good. So that is in a nutshell, a, uh, a time-lapse video, uh, how the wood finishing process goes in our company. Uh, I am... Typically, my philosophy about wood finishing is you put on one coat of stain to give it some color and two coats of finish to protect it. Now, obviously, there are many, many, many things that you can do differently. Um, you can do a lot more. I would argue you can't do a lot less um, to get a good finish. Uh, but yes, I've done all the things. I've done it where, you know, we're using sanding sealers, we're using shellacs, we're using varnishes, we're using polyurethanes, we're laying them over different steps. I've done many, many coats, up to six, seven, eight, nine coats of finish, but eventually uh, you can actually put on too much finish on wood. And if you read the technical data sheets of some of these products like this, uh, they will actually tell you how wet to put it on so it'll dry to a certain thing. And you can actually go, you can go outside of the recommended um, you know, uh, specs of a product and actually have some pretty bad effects with it if you don't use it properly. So like I said, I am absolutely, uh, I am absolutely in favor uh, of following the technical data sheets and the one coat of stain and then two coats of varnish over the top. And so typically when we stain, um, you have natural wood like this and uh, you have to set proper expectations for things like that. So even this hard maple like this, some people call it rock maple, this is a beautiful uh, hardwood and it, it, it sands very smooth, but you can tell here on this stain sample, there still is a little turn of the grain and it still can have something called a blotch and blotch gives it a bad name. I mean, to me, that's just that what wood does. It's just a natural thing. So. Obviously, you can go to things like oak, you can go to things like walnut where they won't necessarily do that, but a lot of people don't really spec hardwoods nowadays. They spec really softwoods and sometimes even poplar and they want it stained like ebony, like this is a, a Minwax ebony on this one here. And when you use softwoods, they will have deviations in them. And I, I don't even like to call them blotches. Blotches has a negative connotation. 
it's not the wood's fault. The wood's going to do that regardless. And uh, you just have to set proper expectations. So one of the things we do, and one of the things that I'm going to share with you guys here is um, what we call an info sheet. Uh, sometimes it's called a sign off sheet. It's in, it's in, in fact, sort of like my ad hoc contract in a way. I don't like to have a super long legalistic contract. I normally like to uh, set proper expectations with the client in a one page thing that we call an info sheet. And I'm going to share that with you here. So we have these for interior painting, exterior painting, things like that. This is one I've actually never shared before. This is a stained and finished wood info sheet. And this basically sets proper expectations or attempts to set proper, proper expectations. And then in the bottom, we just ask the client to read this, sign it and date it just so we know that they understand. Now, wood is a natural material. It's gonna have variations. There are no exceptions. So you can see on this sheet, exactly at the top in bold letters, upfront and honest about stained and finished wood. Now we have to do a stain matching process for the client. We can't just say grab a can of stain and do it because it rarely meets exactly what they had in their head. So we have to go through a process uh, of stain matching and that costs something because we have to acquire some of the wood, some of the stain and some of the finish and they'll actually step out a finish on there. Then we present it to the client for a sign off and I'll be getting to your guys' questions. I love seeing these things that uh, come through here. I'll go through a little more of this and then we'll, we'll dive into that too. We'll also be going through some super cool products as well. So this is something where you want to set proper expectations. And it even has lines in this thing about soft woods will have blotches or blemishes or defects in them. No exceptions. Like we're going to work very hard to get rid of the fingerprints, the aforementioned fingerprints, the glue marks, the man-made stuff, but you will not get rid of the nature made defects in wood. Um, you can apply sanding sealers, you can try sanding them out, but you're going to alter the wood's ability to take stain. And now you're going to have to do something different to impart a color. So it, it all has a bunch of variables in it. That's why I like to stick to a coat of stain, two coats of finish. If we can't achieve it in that, my apologies, you might have to find some other material to do to get your finish in that. So my promise to you guys is a share. I'm going to give you this. Uh, you can use it for your own company, use it for your own good, alter it, whatever you need. If you email me, nick at nickslavic.com, I will absolutely send you this. Um, I uh, And if you don't catch us during the live show, it will be in the show notes of this show. Uh, my email address will be in there. You just let me know. But people sometimes forget that you can talk about um, applicators and stains and color matching and varnishes, but it's all for naught if you don't set the proper expectations with your client. And that's such an important thing when you do something like this. It's very important when you do a cabinet enameling job or a ceiling project or a wall painting project, but that's an opaque finish. That is very reliable. That is a thing where you can just predict what it's going to look like. Wood, on the other hand, it had wild variations and you can't always predict uh, what it is there. So, um, now, my philosophy about wood finishing, one coat of stain, two coats of finish. Typically, what we will do is prep a piece of wood. You normally can't see defects like we're talking about here, the fingerprints, the glue prints, until you put some stain on it. So uh, like I mentioned, we're always uh, wet sanding at the ready. We normally have the, the sanding sponges out. We have extra stain out. So when we're sanding and we see something, hitting it immediately is going to be the best thing. What does a glue mark look like? It's a spot where a carpenter or the manufacturing process got some glue in there. It happens in doors and trim, things like that. And then stain won't take. The glue actually seals the pore. So you'll see like a white spot or a spot where it looks like stain didn't take. And if it's got a little chunk of glue, you can pop it off. Otherwise, you have to kind of wet sand it. And I, I went through that process a little bit before. Typically, what we will do is we will apply the stain by sprayer, by brush, something like that, even something like this, a natural bristle brush from Minwax. Um, and then we'll wipe it off. Big safety tip here. We have to be careful with anything solvent-based. Like there's a whole bunch of water-based wood stains like this where you don't have to worry about that. But in the solvent-borne wood stain and solvent finishes, any rag, any porous material that touches that has to be dunked in water or completely dried out. Um, we prefer a, a water bucket method to submerse those oily rags in water. The downside is spontaneous combustion. And this is a wild thing if you've ever seen it, where if you take a whole bunch of oily rags, pile them up in an area, a bottom of a five gallon bucket in a semi-enclosed area, they'll start to off gas and the evaporation process creates heat. Heat creates spontaneous combustion. You can create a fire from no spark 
It's just that accelerant in there gathered together. The evaporation process can cause it to ignite, which is super scary. In my 30 years of messing around in and around this trade, I've only seen it once and it was a pile of rags that started smoking and uh, never again. That was enough of a lesson. I didn't need any more than that. So um, yeah, basically you stain it, you wipe the stain off. We're a big fan of that. You can use any sort of water-based, uh, solvent-based wood stain, a whole bunch of colors, fun stuff like that. And I'll show you some examples here in a bit. And then I apply two coats of finish. Typically what we'll do is we love to spray our finishes. We're professionals, people expect that from us. So we will spray a coat of finish on there. We'll let it dry uh, for the appropriate amount of time. Normally a finish is dry when you can sand it and it powders up a little bit. That to me is like, you know, you can read the technical data sheets. It'll say so many hours, so much time, but you're gonna have a whole bunch of atmospheric variables. Uh, there's gonna be, you know, wind, there's gonna be humidity, temperatures, things like that. So really when, when you can put a piece of fine sanding paper on a piece of finished wood and it powders up a little bit, it sands nice and smooth, then that's a really good indication that it's dry, but it's normally not less than what the technical data sheet says for each product there. So after that, typically we like to putty wood holes between coats of varnish, doesn't always happen that way. In big remodels and new construction, sometimes sequencing, of other trades will limit your ability to sneak in and do that. If you can seal up those putty marks, putty that hole, put another coat of finish over it, that's normally the best. Sometimes it happens after two. We'll apply our second coat. You wanna do go through an SVT process first though, sand, vac, and tack. So we'll take fine sanding paper, a medium grit sanding sponge, just something nice and uh, fine. And we will sand the surface. Again, we're not removing wood, we're just smoothing out the wood surface and then we'll vacuum it. And we typically use a shop vac with a brush attachment. And we have a drywall bag and a drywall canister to capture that fine kind of talcum powder. And then we'll use a tack rag, uh, which is a microfiber rag. You soak it in water, wring it almost all the way out so it barely feels wet, and then get that last bit of dust off there. And it's squeaky clean after that. It's just a beautiful thing. And then we'll spray and leave that last coat of finish on. Now, Super cool craftsperson trick is something called brown bagging, which you can take a piece of brown paper bag. You can take that floor paper, rosin paper, things like that, uh, fold it up into a little square or something. And you can actually lightly uh, rub it over the surface of a stained and varnished piece. If you've got a little piece of dust or something in there and it'll smooth it out. The brown bag, the, the paper actually acts as a abrasive, probably like a 1 million grit sandpaper, give or take. And if you don't press too hard and you kind of go with the grain a little bit, uh, you can actually remove a little imperfection like a dust nib or a, you know just something in there that doesn't feel quite right and without leaving marks on the surface. So that's a really cool trick that I learned over the years. And uh, it's done a lot of great work on piece, especially when you're finishing in a large kind of new residential house and you're going through 10, 20 gallons of varnish at a shot, spraying it, there's going to be some particles in the air that'll settle back down. And that's a really good way to solve that problem there. So again, guys, uh, I see your comments, questions over here. I'll be running through those really quickly. Uh, but I just thought I would go through a few of this stuff first. I'm going to hit some products here and then we're going to go through Q&A and then go into anything else you guys want here. I'm just going to wet my whistle with some tea here. Uh, Michael Crane says that brown bag trip uh, trick helps for overspray as well too. Yeah, I have way better uh, luck with brown bagging uh, trim to remove blemish blemishes on a clear finish than I do paint, but I do know it works with enamel if you're using the right enamel there too. So, okay. I have links for all these products in the show notes of this thing here. So anything you want to look up, you go right ahead. Obviously, I'm a big fan of the performance series. This is kind of our go-to bread and butter. There's a tintable stain base and then there's a fast dry varnish. There's a sanding sealer, all that stuff. It's awesome, but that's kind of our go-to. Um, what I like about it is this is backed up by, um, uh, this is backed up by uh, Sherwin-Williams. Uh, the performance series is only available at Sherwin and they have all the tinters and stuff like that. And they got the knowledgeable people. So in the video I showed you too, um, you can go there and they can help you with a stain match. And we actually worked out a process uh, with our, with our. I mean, they're, they're good at stain matching, but for what we need, we have this kind of process where verification with the client. So we work very closely with the people at our Sherwin-Williams to get those stain matches out. And it works really, really well. It's a really slick way of doing it. And they'll work with you to adjust them if it needs it, work with the client, make sure the uh, lighting is right. And we actually apply some finish to ours too to make sure the color uh, really does well in the end. So it's a wonderful thing. Um, and they, again, clears and, and, uh, and stains. Obviously, there is the flagship, the wood finish, the stain, the oil-based stain, the elkin-based stain. 
This stuff is the tried and true decades, decades, decades. When I first started messing around with Minwax decades ago, this is obviously the stuff that I was attracted to. Uh, one of the things that I love about it is it has a really good working time. So whether you're restoring a Victorian piece of furniture or doing all the trim in a new house, it gives you some working time. Uh, some, uh, some production stains and finishes, they almost dry too fast for that. Uh, and when you apply this stuff, it gives you some time to come back, wipe it off, find any imperfections in the wood, fix it like that. Um, some of the stuff dries so quick, by the time you wipe on an eight foot piece of trim or something like that, or spray on a piece of trim, it's already starting to dry. And that limits your ability to wipe it off and can actually create its own sort of finishing problems. So I've always liked the open time of that. I also like Whatever solvents are used in that stuff, uh, whatever vehicles are used in there, I believe they actually impart a lot of beauty and depth into the wood where some other, you know, uh, finishes uh, do not. And uh, that's the main difference between sort of water-based stains and oil-based stains, where an oil-based stain uh, will give you the propensity for a lot deeper and more rich finish than like a water-based stain. Not good or bad, just different. And uh, But there's certain things that an oil-based stain, a solvent-based stain can't do that a water-based can, which makes it a good choice as well too. So obviously there's some other fun stuff too, gel stains. So typically how you think about gel stain is it's a very thick, it's almost a pudding-like stain. Uh, it's got a little bit of finish, this is just Nick, the, the craftsman talking here, but basically um, it's a very thick stain you can use for wood graining. Uh, I like it because the, the amount of um, uh, like finish in the wood, it's got a little protectant in it, a little something else, um, actually uh, uh, reduces the blemishes in wood sometimes. So uh, it's a really cool thing to do. We use a ton of gel stain on front entry doors. Uh, when we have to kind of blend in stains, we can dry brush it like that too. Uh, we've even worked up systems where we overlay stain with this, where we'll take a HVLP sprayer that's got a high volume of pressure, like a standard sprayer with an air compressor that you can dial in and we'll thin this stuff down a little bit and we'll actually shade furniture and things like that. And uh, really, really good stuff. So yeah. Oh. Uh, Michael Crane says good vertical hang. Absolutely. Uh, the thickness of this makes it very, very good for that sort of thing. And then there's a poly shade as well, too. So think of polyurethane with some tint in it. That's a really cool thing, too, where if you don't need a super dip, uh, deep, rich, sort of dark, almost opaque walnut stain in a wood, that's a little bit lighter version, probably more of a finish than a stain, but it still has that tint in it, which is kind of cool. You can do some overshading and stuff like that too, but another option for you. Um, yeah, something really cool uh, that Minwax uh, is very proud of, and they should be, is their semi-transparent and their solid color water-based wood stain. So if you take the combination of performance series, the gel stains, the, the flagship wood finish, all the other water-based and oil-based stains, uh, in that in their repertoire, they have hundreds and hundreds of colors that you can choose from. In fact, the largest amount of colors to choose from from a color palette uh, with any stain company. So uh, the the options that this gives you is really really cool. And not you know we're all used to the sort of you know the ebony's and the walnuts and the things like this. But what some of these um, water-based finishes, you know, like this one actually is a, is a can of pickling stain that we had around. This is kind of a white wash, uh, similar to this, which is a color wash you can kind of lay over the top. You know, the, the driftwood, the beechwood, the white wash is a very popular look now, and that simplifies it for you. But a lot of these water-based finishes will give you the option of doing cool stuff like this, which is, this is a quarter sawn white oak clock that I built. And it's got this really cool traditional kind of green finish on it. So I know Mark Johnston, the, my historic restoration friend, is watching here. Um, one of the things that I like is researching and testing out kind of weird, unique, off-the-wall, not normal kind of uh, historic wood finishes. And one of the things that I see in a lot of my original source material and some restoration magazines is this really cool craftsman greeny, reddy, browny tint and stuff like this. So I actually worked with uh, Sherwin-Williams to come up with a custom match for this based on a magazine picture that I saw for them. So I made this clock. I stained it like this. I thought it was just, I just wanted to stain something that historic craftsman green sort of thing. And then I imparted a lot of richness with it, with the oil finish over the top to give it that warm, ambery kind of look like that. So, uh, but that's what's possible with some of this other stuff here. Uh, again, links to all this stuff in there uh, if you guys want it. Obviously, uh, with the clears, polycrylic, everybody knows and loves it. It's been around forever. Uh, Water-based finish. Now, they have some really cool stuff, too, which not many people know about yet, which is ultra-flat, which is basically a non-reflective, clear, protected surfaces for interior stuff. So 
super cool option. It's not just satin semi-gloss gloss anymore. There are some super sneaky things you can do. And um, designers nowadays, new construction, a lot of people are specking these sort of driftwoody, whitewashy, lime wash, bleached out surfaces, and they don't want high gloss. They don't want even a semi-gloss or sometimes even a satin. And so you have the option now of giving them almost a dead flat look, but fully protected, which is actually kind of a cool thing where we used to have to look for decorative options, uh, weird kind of esoteric things, or even make our own there. So uh, yeah, uh, obviously you guys know I am a huge fan of this one here. So as far as spar uh, marine varnishes and things like that go, this is the best one that I've ever used. I am a huge fan of this. My entire uh, exterior clear furniture type finish thing uh, process has all been based around that. Um, I find it's the one of the perfect combinations of depth, richness, thickness of finish, dries just quick enough, but not too quick, but it's still got that real traditional rich oil to it. And the finish, if you've never seen like a fur entry door that's been fully restored, uh, two, three coats of that over the top of it, sanded nice and smooth. It is one of the most beautiful satins you will ever see. So what do you need to know about spar varnish or helmsman varnish or uh, any of these sort of exterior sailboat varnish, marine varnish, things like that? So think clear, protected, but flexible. So one of the biggest misnomers, one of the biggest misconceptions in our entire industry is people think of sailboat varnish, helmsman. They think, oh my God, if it's for exterior, it must be 10 times as hard, 10 times more protectant. So they'll say, hey, let's, I'm going to use that for my wood floors. It's actually a very bad choice uh, for floors because this varnish is made to be flexible. So what is a spar? A spar is actually a piece of a sailboat. It's one of those wood pieces. And with wind, with masts, with ropes, with rigging, it's made to flex like that and move. If you have a very rigid finish on exterior wood, the wood's gonna move, it's gonna crack and let water in. What you need is something that's got a little give, a little bit of flexibility, and then UV protectant in it uh, so it won't degrade the finish in the wood. And that's what it's for. That's why when the wood, wood moves a little bit with a, with a spar varnish, the Helmsman spar varnish, it'll actually move a little bit with it. That's what makes it a perfect choice for exterior furniture, doors, other kind of things where you want a furniture finish, but not necessarily a floor, which is the common thing. I'm going to use that sailboat varnish on my floor. And it actually, it's fine. I've seen it work, but there are better choices like polyurethanes, which are harder and more protected, things like that. So that's always a good one. Now, of course, there's some other stuff, tinted wood putty, things like that. I mean, if you go deep in Minwax's catalog, there's a bunch of really cool stuff, wood fillers and things like that. Stain pens, uh, putty pens, uh, putty itself, things like that. It's really good. So uh, I tell you what I will do now. There's one last product I want to talk about, which is really cool. So almost nobody knows about this stuff. All right. We all know about the flagship wood stains, the water-based wood stains, the oil-based wood stains. But honestly, this is one of the coolest finishes ever. One of the coolest finishes ever. Um, I use this stuff. Now, from the label, you would think that it is a fine, highly refined sort of wood finish for antiques and things like that. And it is that. It's beautiful. But what this label doesn't always tell you, it, this is one of the hardest most protective finishes you can ever use. It is, it's a sleeper. Um, I actually use this for all of my wood countertops in my house. I've built wood countertops for my last two houses and I absolutely, absolutely slathered them with this. And it is the hardest, most impenetrable finish for that I've ever seen. Now, this is one of those things where if you read the technical data sheet, what you're not gonna find is you should use this product for wood countertops. It's not a common use of it, but my God, does it work well. So as people know, I'm sitting here in the Slavic house, which we built two years ago. I made all of the wood countertops in that house and people watched lovingly as I just drip this stuff all over the place. I had this just slathered all over the counters. I'm working it in with natural bristle brushes. I'm tipping it off. I'm letting it dry. We're sanding it. And literally uh, our dining room table is that finish, all the wood countertops in our house. And it is a beautiful finish. And it's one of the most indestructible finishes uh, that I've ever used. So amazing, amazing finish. A little bit of a sleeper. Not many people know about it, but my God, is it a good finish. So, okay. All right. Uh, Michael Crane, how many coats? Uh, typically, I'll do at least three on my wood countertops. 
my, my table, uh, because my kids, you know, we wash it many times a day and things like that. It's made out of reclaimed wood. Uh, every three years or so, I'll give it a quick SVT sand and I'll recoat it again just to kind of bring back the luster. So I'm not a perfect woodworker by any means. So when I made that table out of reclaimed wood, it's got a little bit of this and that. And a couple of the high spots where the pans run over it and plates hit over it, rub off a little bit, but the rest of the table looks good. That's why every three years or so, I like to give it a little scuff and, and just a recoat. So, all right, let's go over Ooh, some questions here. Phil Klein, love to see you, my friend. Harvey Follis, how are you? Mike Wells, hey. Oh yeah, how can you fix a fingerprint? We got that one. Chris Mole, love you, man. My, my British friend from Northern Minnesota. Actually, he'll be coming down our way tomorrow. Drew Schroyers, any recommendations for staining a birch slab? I'm using the tintable Minwax base. Absolutely. So if you want to, um, if you want to, for a birch base, there's different kinds of birch. All right. You can get birch that's kind of white and uh, not many, not much grain in it, or you can get like heart birch. Uh, there's some historic birch that I actually salvaged out of a house from, I think the 1950s where it was heart birch. It was the inner, the, the innermost rings of the trees that was really dark and rich and red and kind of mahogany colored. And that stuff was as hard as any hardwood I've ever finished. Most people, when they're talking about birch nowadays, you're going to get a whiter wood, a little bit softer, give or take. And depending on the type of birch, it might even be a semi-hardwood to a softwood. Let's assume it's soft. You might, depending on the color, you might get a little bit of blotching, which again, I see as no problem, but every one of our clients sees it as the end of the world, even though we've set proper expectations. They want it perfectly good. And I will tell them, you know, if you want a perfectly non-blotchy surface, you need to get an actual hardwood because that's the thing that will, you know, prevent that. Now, if you have to, what I would absolutely do is do a stain sample, just like these. I would get a chunk of it. I would even do the backside or the side or somewhere out of the way and apply some of this and some finish over it just to make sure it's what you or the client wants. Now, if you're using a water-based wood finish like this, you have another weird craftsman option which is something called water popping. And um, uh, there's some cabinet people that use it. There's some furniture people that use it. But where I see it used a lot is wood floor people. Um, when they really want a, a stain to take. And a lot of times these flooring people are, are being asked to take red oak strip flooring that's 20 or 30 years old and turn it almost black or ebony or super, super dark walnut. And if you just apply a regular stain over the top, sometimes the oak doesn't accept it. It doesn't get dark enough. So what they actually have to do is sand it to bare wood and water pop it. They'll apply water all over it. And the water will actually raise the grain and open that grain up to accept more stain. Then you can stain over the top. But you have got to get that water popping even. If you spray some over here and little water droplets hit, wherever the water droplets hit will open the grain and the other stuff will not. Very, very interesting story from a job uh, probably a decade ago. New construction house and they had all poplar cabinets made. And when the cabinet people delivered, I mean, there was probably 200 doors and drawers worth of stained uh, and varnished, to be stained and varnished poplar cabinets. And very porous wood, very soft wood. They delivered them through a rainstorm. So they, they backed up the cabinet truck to the job. They unloaded all these doors and drawers in the open rain into the house. And you can even tell everywhere where the water hit, it opened the grain up. And you couldn't tell this when the wood was just sitting there after the water had dried, you know? Uh, when you put stain on, it was just like, it was just peppered with, you know, it looked like a Jackson Pollock painting, every one of them. You could even see where the guy was holding doors under his arm like this, because the arm shielded the raindrops. So there was no drops underneath is where his arm was, but everywhere there was. And so I had to wet sand every single one of those pieces after we found all that stuff. So you can water pop, you can open it up, but you got to do an even job and you got to do some tests after. But otherwise, depending on the birch, it'll finish beautifully. First coat of finish on, again, just a light buff. You're not removing wood. And then at least one more coat on. And depending on the porosity of the birch, you may have to add a third coat later on. But two coats, my gosh, if you apply it at the correct wet mill thickness, that's going to be some beautiful stuff, man. I really appreciate that. And Drew, send some pictures uh, as well. I would love to see that stuff. So uh, Mike Wells, no problem. Mike Crane, caulking cabinet panels, yay or nay. So with stain and varnishing, we would never do that because obviously caulking you will see. Uh, but you know, Michael, uh, you are you are poking me, you're provoking me. Uh, I am of the firm belief that when we prime and paint cabinet doors and stuff like that, we do not caulk those panels because, why you may ask, that panel is called a floating panel. It's actually made to expand and contract 
with the wood. The rails and styles are a frame for it and it floats within there. And especially in Minnesota, when you know you can go from negative 40 and dry to where your nose will whistle, the, the air so dry, to 100 degrees and 100% humidity, that wood is going to move. And if you caught that, um, not only will it pull the caulking out, but you could run the risk. I've seen this in big uh, pine interior doors where there's lots of wood and lots of movement. Uh, the caulking will actually seal the panel in, the panel will want to move, and the panel will actually crack right down the middle, and you'll be able to see through the door because the panel was the weakest length and not the caulking at that point. So, all right, Mike Wells. All right, talking about the... Oh, Alex, fellow Minnesota painter, this is great. So happy to see the notification. That's awesome, man. I appreciate that. <laughs> Michael Crane, blue surprise the first time. Oh, absolutely, man. There's a high learning curve to some of this stuff, especially uh, uh, staining and varnishing wood like that. Ah, here we go. Here's a good one. Okay, how do you not get swirl marks using medium squishy on a stain job on a maple project when staining? We have a we have to step up to 220 or fine to achieve non-swirl product. Okay, so what he's talking about is our beloved surf prep. There is actual a foam backed pad, a sanding pad that is called medium squishy. It's called squishy because it's their thickest pad. It's maybe a half inch thick like that. And medium is the grit. Yeah, obviously, Michael, um, we don't do a lot of staining and varnishing. It's kind of, you know, random throughout the year in our shop. It's not an everyday occurrence. But yes, if we're doing brand new woodwork, typically what we'll do is we try to do the least amount of sanding as possible. So typically what we'll try to do is look for imperfections, look for uh, differences in the milling process. But typically what we want to do on a, on a new cabinet or a new uh, millwork project is stain it. And then we try to figure out what the, what the imperfections are. We're actually blessed with a lot of stuff that doesn't need to all be finished sanded before it comes here the cabinet shops and the millwork shops actually do a pretty good job of that stuff but yes if you're getting sanding swirls progressively move up to fine super fine things like that until it goes away and also you know it never hurts either uh that listen we love our beloved surf prep sanders and all the medium squishies and the attachments and the things but sometimes if you want to get rid of swirl marks you hand sand you just get in there because your hand won't leave a swirl mark most likely uh, it'll, you, normally you sand with the grain and if you want to get rid of really light ones, sometimes it's just easiest to just do it by hand. So, yeah. All right. Thomas Powell. Hello. Oh, Mark Johnson. Yes. Do you ever use dye? Absolutely. So when we're talking about something like this, where we have hard maple and this is actually an ebony stain, this is one of the darker stains that Minwax has. And when it won't penetrate a super hardwood like this and a client wants it as dark as possible, you can either try to water pop it or you can make some water-based dye, uh, which is really cool. Uh, there's a whole bunch of other aniline dyes, water-based dyes you can get, but a little craftsperson trick, and Mark, you know this, I'm not telling this to you, you know this, but you can actually take some water-based stain like this and uh, you can get like the solid or the semi-transparent and you can get it in a black, a very dark color, another different color, thin it down with water and you can kind of make your own color washer or uh, or kind of like a water-based stain uh, so you can still see some of the grain but you can layer it on uh, as water and kind of build that ebonized effect or something like that and dyes are typically used for that the only thing you have to be careful for is um, there's there's kind of like to simplify this is way way oversimplifying there are some dye stains and then there's pigmented stains Dye stains are something that's ground much very uh, fine and, and are going to solution and penetrate a lot deeper. Think thin kind of water. Uh, if you do not use a pigmented stain over the top, a pigmented stain has a little more coarse ground. It's got some stuff in it. Like there's actual pigment in solution in that. If you don't put a pigmented stain over a dye stain, those dye stains, most of them have a huge tendency to fade. So if you were to take, you know, uh, this clock and do just a dye stain over the top of this stuff and leave it in the sun, sometimes within even a matter of weeks or months, you will see a crazy fading effect. And the, the darker you go, the more the fading. Little trick is you put a, a, a pigmented stain over the top, the actual little pigment particles almost act like sunblock and will stop that from happening. Doesn't happen with all dye stains, but I know some people go sick and they say, oh my God, I'm gonna make that cool little clock. I'm gonna dye it deep fluorescent purple like that. And if they don't do some sort of pigmented stain over the top, sometimes you can see a drastic fading effect, almost bleached out in a matter of weeks and months. So it's pretty, pretty cool to see, so. All right, Jesse Allen, oop, come back on there. There we go. Uh, school lunch bags work awesome. He's talking about uh, brown bag and stuff. 
da, 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 da. Michael Crane, oh my friend. Uh, open time for WinWax is is uh, far beyond any. Absolutely. So you just have to know what you're getting into. So typically, if I was going to do that nightstand project again or that side table project, and I was using a water base, I probably would do one small piece at a time and wipe it off. It just doesn't have the open time of a solvent base. A solvent base takes a lot longer to dry and gives you time where I could do half that thing and then wipe it off and kind of you know uh, uh, rub out some uh, imperfections in the wood and things like that. So. All right. Mark, I like the color of that clock. They had a bunch of ways to add color. Yeah. So again, when we talk about like traditional wood finishing here, uh, I know Mark probably loves this stuff too, but there was actually a thing before you could get, you know, readily available package stains like this. Uh, there used to be like uh, fuming of wood where you would actually take a chemical, I think it was ammonia, and you would tent a piece. You would have a whole tray of like super high test chemical grade ammonia, uh, chemical lab ammonia in the bottom. And you would put a piece of like um, oak, I think white oak is one of the best versions of this where I have, a, I have my white oak rocker uh, in the corner here. And what you would do is you'd tent it up. You'd put something over it. You'd open up that ammonia and it would, the, it would react with the tannic acid in the wood and turn it like deep, rich mahogany or walnut or something. It's a super cool kind of chemistry trick. I've even heard some old timers, and I heard this about old timers in the area where when they finish a craftsman home, you know, you think in 19 teens, 1920s, and they did all kind of white oak or red oak woodwork in the house. One of the tricks was they'd seal up the house. However, they did that, shut all the windows, lock them, seal them, whatever. Uh, put a huge pan or bucket of ammonia in the house and leave it for a week at a time they'd come back, the whole house would have been gassed or uh, fumed into a different color. It's just wild, the old finishing stuff. But I, you know, you guys know, I got these, uh, I got huge libraries of old traditional finishing books here. Mark's a nut. He knows way more about this stuff than I do, but so much fun stuff. You can just go down these rabbit holes in wood finishing. And we have it so lucky nowadays with, you know, performance series and ready-made stains and things like that uh, compared to that old stuff. So, all right. Jesse Allen. Oh, loves the primary stains, the greens, the oranges. Yeah, that's fun. I mean, we do a lot of, you know, back in the day, I was long, I was around long enough to even do golden oak back when golden oak was still being put on houses and stuff, you know, 20, 25 years ago. And uh, nowadays they're, they're asking a lot of us. They really want dark, deep, almost black wood finishes nowadays. So it's a different, different way of finishing here. So uh, don't forget the importance of flexibility of spar varnish. That's it, man. That's why you use it. That's why it does not make a great floor finish, but it makes the perfect, the perfect um, yeah, finish there. Pam Anderson. Ah, this is something I like to go deep on. So I believe uh, Pam is talking about this here. So here's the deal. Whenever anybody, when people see me finish my wood countertops, my tables, even butcher blocks, uh, people always ask, hey, is that food safe? And I will say, who cares? You're not going to eat it. Uh, almost any wood finish is inert. Even paint is inert once it's dry. Typically, what we do is I am, I am a huge fan of film forming finishes on tables and countertops because you do want them porous. I am not a fan of film forming finishes on butcher block. Um, uh, it depends. If it's a countertop, yes. If it's an actual butcher block where you're going to be using a knife, I prefer nothing. I prefer to just leave it be, wash it well. You can use mineral oils, walnut oils, um, butcher block oils, but that is such a fleeting sort of finish. That is a thing where you'd have to do every week if you really want that oiled look, because every time you wash it, you're basically taking some off like that every time you use it. All those things are perfectly safe. The only thing you never want to do for those uh, cutting boards and butcher blocks, if you're actually using them, is to use natural oils, canola oil, olive oil, things like that. Those will actually, those are organic oils. Those will penetrate into the wood and actually go rancid and rot in that wood, especially when you have it wet and things like that. So honestly, I'm, I'm a big fan of if you're going to do wood countertops or a wood butcher block, island top or whatever, to me, that is something where it looks beautiful, but you will need to maintain it. There is nothing you can put on a wood countertop that will last for 50 years, unblemished, not scratched, no water stains, no wine stains, uh, citrus stains, things like that. When I spec a finish like this for my wood countertops, number one, it's as hard as nails. It's easy to apply. It's readily available. Uh, there's no tricks to it. You don't even need a spray. You can get a sprayed finish with just a natural bristle brush and that. But it's renewable. 
which is the most important thing for me. If you spray lacquer on your woodwork, you can't just freshen it up with a coat of lacquer with a brush or a rag a few years later. You need to get professional spray equipment. It's it's toxic. It's uh, it's harmful to the body if you don't have safety gear. This is one of those things where, yes, it's solvent-borne. You can throw in a respirator. You can quick sand vac tack your countertop, throw on another coat. You're completely renewed. So I like something that I know I'm going to be doing maintenance, and I like to renew it. I like to have something that's easy to do. You're not going to have adhesion issues uh, and things like that. So it depends. If you're actually going to cut on a butcher block, I would not put a film-forming finish. Uh, if you're going to cut on it and you want to do something to it, I would use a penetrative finish like a walnut oil, butcher block oil, things like that. But just know you're going to have to basically oil that thing every single time you wash it. And that's a lot of work. We got better things to do in life. So uh, we, me and my kids, we actually make a bunch of cutting boards. We use them. And then finally, when they just get used up, we burn them and then make some new ones like that. It's just sort of, to me, they're semi-disposable items, give or take. So. Oh boy, here is one. Seth Hotstetter. Uh, what is the process for restaining a previously stained and finished set of cabinets? Is sanding to raw necessary? No, it's not. But here's the things you have to know about this. This is an insanely tricky process, not because the products are tricky or the process is tricky, but because you're dealing with something that already has color, grain, and finish, and you're imparting something else. So typically what I would do is get some gel stain, get some poly shades, and the problem is you cannot be haphazard in your application. Uh, we will typically only, uh, I've brushed versions of this before. It's very difficult to get even because again, you're having a translucent finish over translucent finish. And with gel stains and poly shades and things like that, every time you overlayer some brush marks, you have the tendency to darken that layer. Cause again, it's transparent. You're added to the opacity every time. So you have to be very careful. That's why we like a spray application for those. Um, the biggest thing with those is adhesion because let's say you have a stained and varnish or a stained and lacquer uh, red oak cabinet door and they want it walnut, something darker. You have to SVT. So we give it a quick sand vac and tack, not necessarily down to bare wood. And then we'll apply, spray apply a thin down version of either poly shades or a gel stain. But again, if you overlap in the wrong direction, everywhere you overlap, you may, and, it, and it's not even, you may actually darken and tiger stripe those things. Very difficult. It's very difficult to touch up. So this has nothing to do with the products. Uh, it has everything to do with setting expectations with the client and your ability to apply it the right way, but way, way more difficult process than it seems, honestly. And the hardest, the hardest versions of this product uh, projects are ones with the biggest kind of areas. If we just have one two and a quarter inch oak baseboard to turn you know, red oak to that, that can infinitely be doable. Even with a brush like this, it's not that bad. But when you have like, a refrigerator panel, a side of a refrigerator or something to get even a uh, little harder. But uh, Seth, if you need anything else after that, you let me know. But otherwise, it's definitely doable. You just uh, test process for sure. All right, Mary Sakura, thank you so much. Dave Pine. <laughs> Man, I get used to the midweek evening show. It's like you're keeping me company while I get some work done in the office. Oh, that's awesome, man. That means a lot to me. Hmm, let's see, Rick Hamilton, do I do wood conditioners? So I've done a bunch of uh, experiments for people. Uh, the last time I did an uh, in-depth wood conditioner, sanding sealer sort of uh, test was for new construction that had a whole bunch of knotty alder doors that they wanted stained very dark. They wanted to minimize the blotching, but they also wanted that depth of color. So what I did for them is a series of sanding sealer and um, um, uh, you know, wood conditioner experiments where I tried every one at full strength and then at 50% strength to see what it would do to the wood. And, you know, it, it, it did, all those things will minimize the blotching, but then they'll also minimize the amount of stain that the wood will take. So if you're going a clear finish or very light stain, absolutely hundred percent great products. But if you want like black ebony, knotty alder doors, um, things like that. If you apply full strength sanding sealer or wood conditioner, you will limit the wood's ability to intake that stuff. So you just got to do a series of samples based on what the client wants and uh, and kind of go from there, but infinitely doable. All right. Michael Crane, toning cabinets are tough. The most important part is getting an approved sample before starting. Dude, don't you know it, man? That is a tough one. Uh, yeah. Let's show Denny. Oh, Denny, my friend from down there, Salton, Minnesota. I love Denny. He was actually on the retreat with me in, in northern Minnesota. So, yeah, it's tough. Listen, if uh, if you got some patience and you want to test, it's infinitely doable. The only thing you have to watch out for is good inner coat adhesion, because anytime you have a finish 
that contains a pigmented um, stain or pigment in it, uh, if if applied, if you, if over applied, you could actually run into an adhesion problem. So always better to do lighter coats, let it dry properly. If you layer on one super thick coat, it can actually puddle and wrinkle if you're not giving it time to cure properly. Or what you can run into is the pigment actually disrupts the um, adhesion uh, between inner coats. And the problem is when you get a chip on a, on a golden oak cabinet that's been turned deep, um, you know, uh, walnut color or something, when you get a chip, it goes back down to uh, golden oak. And that's not just a little chip that, oh, it's a blemish. It's like checkerboard blemish. And that's a tough thing to do. So, all right, let's see what we got here. All right. I do tons of previously stained handrails, SVT, thin gel, and spray or feather and absolutely very tricky. But again, that's the part of the craftsman stuff that I kind of love too, which is testing the limits of that stuff when you start bumping into the artistry side of it. And yes, it's it's architectural, residential, sometimes historic restoration, sometimes even production work, but it's still the fun part about it like that. So, all right, everybody, I think that's going to be it for me. I do appreciate it. Um, if you guys email me, nick at nickslavic.com. I will send you my info sheet like this if it'll help you out. It's just for setting proper expectations. Uh, links to all these fun products in the show notes here. Um, I will also say that one of the coolest new innovations in stain is the advent of a lot of water-based products. Like I said, you can get ultra-flat water-based varnish, which is a super cool thing that we never had access to before, minus some weird little niche markets. Uh, we also have over 200 plus tintable colors. We have custom matched ability for the performance series. And uh, the color of the year is actually an olive color from Minwax. So just like uh, all the other paint companies pick colors of the year, um, Minwax also picks one too. It's called Gentle Olive. And it's not dissimilar to one of my favorite little clocks uh, in my workshop here in my, uh, in my war room. So um, the big takeaway I want you guys to have is that there's some wild stuff out there now between the color washes, the design series, the water-based finishing, the exterior stuff, the antique oils, the performance series. There's a whole world of stuff out there that, uh, that is out and uh, you, we need to be exploring it as craftspeople. So um, the amount of color and color choices that you're able to do yourself or give your clients is wild now. And these aren't things that we have to doctor up in our basements and our garages anymore uh, as master craftspeople. These are things that are readily available and more importantly, replicable of a very beautiful, deep red, kind of Navajo red stain and use it for a decorative piece and you need more. It's not something you have to custom mix up again and do a stain match. It's replicable. You can get more. You can send the formula to somebody else and they can get it too. There's a whole new world of this stuff out there. So I will personally thank you guys for taking some family time uh, to spend it with me tonight. Thank you for Minwax. You guys know these are some of my favorite assignments, which are, hey, uh, Nick, go through our catalog, highlight some stuff you know and love, maybe find a little bit of the stuff that people don't know that much about and introduce them to it. But either way, give us your experience on it. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity. So Minwax, thank you. And thanks for everybody for watching. And here we are to kick off National Woodworking Month. And I'm glad we could do it with you guys. So, all right, everybody, family time for me. You have a good rest of the evening. And we'll see you this Saturday, I believe, for the flagship Ask a Painter live show, not the Ask a Stainer live show. See you then. Paint Ed podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.